Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 20th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. On today's show, we'll be talking about a bunch of news, including a Netflix cartoon controversy, the possibility of a Valerian sequel, the first reviews of Kingsman, The Golden Circle, a new movie theater VR concept, uh, The Deuce gets a second season, and Willy Wonka in concert and in the mailbag. We'll answer all the questions you've ever had about uh, movie press screenings. So, with me on today's show are Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Um, how's it going, guys? Um, we have a bunch of news stories today. Nothing, like, huge, but I think there's uh, some stuff to discuss. Okay, let's start with the possibility of a Valerian sequel. Chris, you wrote the story for SlashFilm.com. What's the chances that we'll actually get a Valerian 2? I mean, you know, never say never, but uh, Luke Besson still has, uh, he's still hoping for it to happen. I mean, the first film was pretty much his dream project. He was, he was working on it for years, and it sort of had this built-in failsafe to it in that uh, he and his producing partner, who's also his wife, uh, pretty much put up all the money themselves for the film. They didn't go through a studio for financing. So even though the film did not do well at the box office, it's still he has he basically has no studio to answer yeah. to. He, he they they, they had a bunch of small private investors involved. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if he wants to, if he and his his wife slash producing partner want to put up all that money again, maybe maybe they'll get it done. And he also says it depends on Blu-ray sales, basically. So if it gets enough VOD rents and Blu-ray sales, that seems to be what's going to determine if he goes ahead and tries to make at least a part two. He wants to make two and three, but I, I guess <laughs> you have to make, you have to make two first. So. Yeah. And previously he said he was already finished writing number two and he was on to writing number three. So he's right. already like working on it, but uh, the movie didn't really uh, move the needle at the box office. I mean, it, it made $40 million here and $179 million overseas, which isn't a small number, but this is a movie yeah. that costs, you know, over $175 million. 
Uh, so you need like what, like three hundred fifty dollar, uh, three hundred fifty million dollars to to break even uh, with the Hollywood right. math, I think. Um, yeah, at least, yeah. And it wasn't well reviewed. Did you see the film? Uh, no, I didn't see it yet. I, I want to see it because you know it looks colorful, and I, I like most of his films. I loved The Fifth Element, and I, I love uh, The Professional, so I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance. I also really like Rihanna, and she's in it, so. That's sort of like the selling point for me is that, oh, Rihanna is in this movie. I'll, I'll see it for her. I mean, I really love the world building he did here. The main actors were kind of uh, not great. Um, the, no. the characters <laughs> were not well written, but we don't go into Luke Besson film looking for great char- characterization. No. Um, but I would like to explore more of this world. And I think when you actually do end up seeing this and I, I would recommend if this is still in theaters, I'm not sure if it is. <laughs> to to see it on the big screen because some of this uh the colorful world building and creatures and stuff it's just meant to be seen on the biggest screen right. possible even though the film is not that successful in the end um, right but I, 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 I would like to see him get another shot um would, yeah. would, if you were gonna bet what are the odds of uh this actually <sighs> happening? Oh, I really don't. I mean, I'm going to say, I'll say there's a 45% chance this will get made. Uh, that's my my rough percentage estimate. There's a 45% chance he'll find a way to, to get this made. Maybe, I don't know if it'll go to theaters or not. Maybe he'll find a way to just do a, you know, a direct-to-video sort of thing. I really don't know. But Or he can always take the, I mean, it's based on a comic book, so he can always take the comic book route and write the sequel and have it published as, you know, a graphic novel or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if he lowered the budget, if he could make, get this made for, you know, 75, 80, 90 million dollars, yeah. uh, he could find the funding, but uh, making another, you know, just almost... sit in one room, just, just they <laughs> never, they never leave one room. Well, that, that was the problem with this movie is the whole movie is like set in all sorts of different, interesting worlds. And then the whole third act is set in like one room. Ah, all right. <laughs> it's it's one of those. Well, he just needs to do that feature length, and he'll be good to go, I guess. Okay, and moving on from Valerian sequels to the highest bit of film journalism ever published on Slash Film, uh, <laughs> someone drew a penis in a children's Netflix cartoon, and Ben <laughs> had to write about it for the site. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Peter, I don't know if you watched the Netflix children's TV show Maya the Bee, but if you happen to catch episode 35 of season one, uh, at the 18 minute and 45 second mark, there is a giant erect penis drawn on the inside of a log that the characters uh, hang out near, apparently. Uh, this is bad news, clearly. Uh, parents not thrilled about this. Uh, some mother um, discovered it on Facebook and you know, was was watching the thing with her kid and ranted all about this on Facebook. She said, I know I'm not going crazy. I'm aware that something like this should not be in a kid's show whatsoever. I'm extremely disgusted by it. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's um, the latest in a long history of uh, inappropriate things being slipped into children's entertainment. And in this article that you can read at SlashFilm.com, I sort of ran through a lot of the uh, the recent um, animation, you know, the history of this sort of quote-unquote trend, uh, a lot of it um, sort of revolving around Walt Disney animation films. So, uh, yeah, you can see a screenshot uh, at the time of the publication of this article earlier today. 
this episode was still up on Netflix of Maya the Bee. So I, I guess the controversy has not generated such a fever pitch that it's reached the ears of Netflix executives yet. But uh, I imagine it'll only be a matter of time before they end up taking this thing down. Oh, I'm sure. And, and Disney animators used to sneak this stuff in all the time because before, even when there was VHS tapes, when you pause the screen, you couldn't really make out stuff. So it, it's, um, you know, c- kind of since the advent of DVD and HD has this thing become a big problem because now people can freeze frame and uh, see this stuff. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And make a big deal about it. Um but yes, I'm sure they will remove it sometime soon. Everybody's wondering what the next evolution of cinema is going to be. You know, we thought it was going to be 3D. Doesn't seem to be the case. Although James Cameron, you know, is going to try to prove us wrong with a bunch of Avatar sequels. Uh, a company called Cinera is launching a headset, a VR headset, on Kickstarter, and they believe the future of cinema is in virtual reality. And uh, this is actually kind of interesting. I, I, I know that a lot of people are mocking this, but it, because the picture of the guy with the huge VR headset on a uh, jib arm uh, looks kind of ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. But essentially, they're, they're promising that you could be at home and experience an IMAX movie on an IMAX-sized screen in your home. Um, essentially, they're having, you know, uh, two... 2.5 K screens in that in that VR headset and it basically when you're sitting there it look it looks and feels like you're looking at a screen the size of an IMAX movie not just that like the screens up in front of your face but you're you know seeing it, it feels like you're in an IMAX theater so the question is Ben is this something you would want to is this how you want to experience the future of home movie watching so it's an interesting thing, right? Because I think for some movies, maybe the answer is yes. Um, for movies that I, I don't know, I can't really think of an example, but something that maybe I would just want to watch myself. But I, I don't look at it as like the future of um, this is where the big screen experience is going to shift as a whole. Because I think the communal aspect is such an important thing of you know seeing movies in the theater with other people and like. Uh, thriving on the crowd's reaction and and sort of being able to interact with people in that way. Um, I think that's such a a key component to the the whole idea of watching movies. Um, But that being said, I'm not opposed to this as an alternative, right? I I think there's uh, potential there for a really cool sort of um, personal experience. Uh, I think a lot of us... You know, we're social people. We like to watch movies with other people, even at our homes and stuff. But if, you know, if there's nobody else around, if you're, um, I don't know, maybe if you're like uh, traveling on business and you're in a hotel or something like that and you don't want to watch the crappy TV that they have in there, I can totally see pulling out one of these things and having like an insane you know, 4K experience being beamed straight into your eyes from two <laughs> inches away, and that that being maybe a better way to watch uh, certain kinds of movies. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean... I- I find it hard to imagine a point where I will be sitting on my couch with my girlfriend and we're both going to have these headsets on, you know, watching the same movie and not able to, like, look at each other and have a, you know, conversation. Not that we have conversations during movies, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, that that I don't think is what they're trying to go for or it shouldn't be what they're trying to go for because that I'm with you. That doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. 
and I know there's simulators already like uh, for Oculus Rift and stuff, and I think that's like a lower resolution screen than what this is what they're trying to do with this uh, Kickstarter. But uh, I haven't tried it. It doesn't seem like something I want to do. What What about you, Chris? Is this any of any interest to you? Uh, well, I'm kind of the opposite in that I, I've kind of grown tired of going to the movie theater because everyone around me is so needlessly rude. You know, they're on their cell phones. They can't stop talking through the whole movie. So I'm actually all for anything that gets me out of that environment and keeps me watching movies. So I don't know if this is it, but if it, if it was, I'd be willing to try it uh, just because, I don't know, people are jerks. And I'm ready to <laughs> I'm ready to get away from them. So I don't know. Pretty much every movie screening I go to, whether it be a press screening or a regular screening, there's just someone there who doesn't understand that they're not in their living room. They, you know, they're not. You know, they're at you know, a public event. So if the answer to that is me actually sitting in my living room, but treating it like I am in what a theater should be, I don't know. I'm willing to give that a try. I don't know. I call me cynical, and uh, you know, I love the. I, I am excited about the benefits of VR and augmented reality, but uh, you know, people complaining that they don't want to put 3D glasses on. Um, imagine having to put this hulking, huge, heavy thing on, and you know, watch a two-hour movie. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, let's move on from that to Kingsman: The Golden Circle. The first reviews have made their way online. Ben, you did a roundup. Is the Kingsman sequel worth seeing? So that's sort of a tough question. I think the general gist that I got was that this is an entertaining sequel. It's too long um, and maybe needlessly long. But the vibe I got was sort of if you like the first one, there's a good chance that you'll like this one. Uh, I found the first Kingsman movie to be a pleasant surprise when it came out in, I think, February of 2015. And now, um, yeah, I'm, I was sort of looking forward to this one. It, it seems like a lot of the reviews are are uh, pretty mixed as far as the story, but everyone seems to agree that the action is really great and worth seeing. Um, I'll read a little snippet from our friend Kate Erbland's in, uh, review over at IndieWire. Um, she gave the movie a B-. minus and seemed to enjoy what Matthew Vaughn, the director, was doing with uh, his action scenes. She says, At a hefty two hours and 21 minutes, Vaughn has more than enough time to tighten up the basic elements of the film's storyline, but instead he chooses to lavish his attention on high-energy fight scenes that ably blend humor and eye-popping action. It's hard to blame him, though, because The Golden Circle boasts some of Vaughn's most ambitious action-centric filmmaking yet, from the lasso-snapping joys of a bar fight to a mountain-centric set piece that will shred nerves and engender tremendous cheers. The story, secondary. <laughs> so that's sort of, uh, I think, pretty representative of the uh, the critical community's reaction to the new Kingsman movie. People seem to, you know, uh, cautiously dig it, I guess, if that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. At, at Comic-Con, they showed a few clips from this movie, including the opening car chase sequence, which is bonkers insane. Like, it, it, one of the most insane... Uh, because it's not just a car chase, it's like a fight sequence in a car, around a car, on top of a car. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, Matthew Vaughn, you know, going to the full extent of, and by, by the end of not just that sequence, by the end of that panel, just only seeing a couple clips, I was exhausted. Um, yeah, somebody, and, somebody actually referred to the movie as an exhausting, exhilarating watch. So okay. that that sort of, uh, I think, also encap encapsulates people's feelings uh, about the film pretty well. 
Um, and when does Kingsman come out? Do you know? Uh, it comes out on September 22nd. Cool. Uh, news that just came in today is that the deuce has been renewed for season two. Chris, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Uh, yeah, basically the deuce, it's only aired two episodes so far, but that is pretty much good enough for HBO in that they, they wanted to give it a brand new season. I mean, it's very well reviewed. It's got a lot of buzz around it as far as HBO shows that aren't Game of Thrones go. I mean, it seems like Game of Thrones has monopolized all of HBO's buzz, but this show seems to have been s- steadily building up its own little niche. And, and, uh, and, and you saw you saw the first episode of this. Uh, what yeah. is it about? What did you think? Uh, it's basically it's set in New York in the 70s back when New York. I mean, New York now compared to the 70s is, you know, like a, a tourist attraction. The 70s, it was really gritty and dirty and sort of a dangerous place. So it's set in that world and it's set amongst like the rise of basically pornography in New York in that era. And uh, it's got James Franco in it. It's got Maggie Gyllenhaal in it. It's uh, I mean, I've only seen the first episode, like you said, but it was a good first episode. It, it hooks you pretty early. It's got great production value. So, and uh, I could see why uh, they want to keep going with this. At the same time, I'm also reminded of, vinyl which had a similar setting it has similar pedigree for hbo and that show just got steadily worse to the point that even though hbo renewed it they eventually uh, reneged on that and canceled it after renewing it for a second season could be mentioned that michelle mclaren directed the pilot episode uh you know a director a tv director that's amazing she's done breaking bad uh westworld an episode of better call saul um and uh, still hasn't broken through to the the big screen in a major way, but uh, we're we're expecting that she's on the the top of every major uh, you know wish list for casting for these franchise films. So um, yes, anyways, you can you can see this now on HBO Go if if you're interested. Um, I, I I saw the first episode as well, and uh, <laughs> typical da- David Simon, it, it takes a long while to. To kind of click into, oh, this is what the show is. Do you know what I mean? And uh, right. and I'm not even sure the first episode actually establishes that as much as, uh, but uh, keep in there, keep the, you know, watch until at least the end of the first episode before making your decision. Uh, moving on from that, let's move on to uh, John Stamos has been cast as Willy Wonka. Don't get upset quite yet because it's not for another movie. It's for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in concert. Ben, you wrote this article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Yes, so Variety broke the news today that uh, John Stamos is going to be playing Willy Wonka live in concert at the Hollywood Bowl here in Los Angeles uh, for a two-night performance on November 3rd and November 4th, 2017. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic is playing the Oompa Loompas in this thing, and Finn Wolfhard, who is in Stranger Things and the new movie It, is playing Charlie Bucket. So this is going to be directed by uh, Richard Kraft, who is the same guy who was responsible for the um, the Little Mermaid live at the Hollywood Bowl, which was a big show that happened last year. And you can actually, we wrote um, and embedded some videos and stuff from that performance in a previous article on Slash Film, which I've embedded in or linked to in my article about this one. So you can check that out to sort of get a sense of maybe what's in store. It's basically a mixture of 
the movie itself and sort of um, live musical uh, performances and like a little bit of acting right in front, you know, out on the stage on the Hollywood Bowl stage in front of the film. Um, so it's this weird sort of uh, almost interactive. There's singers, there's dancers, there's, you know, going to be like a costume party kind of uh, vibe to it. And then there's also the entire thing is taking place in Smellorama, which means that every <laughs> attendee is getting a scratch and sniff golden ticket. So I assume that will factor in at random points throughout the film. Um, so yeah, and like you know projections all over the surface of the bowl from artists visual you know uh visual artists and stuff like that so it sounds like a really really strange uh, kind of event and the casting of john stamos is just so bizarre to me especially when you have somebody like weird al yankovic who seems like a much better willy wonka than john stamos could ever be um but willy wonka i mean you guys know gene wilder you know, starred in the, and basically like created this character in movie form in 1971, just like this immaculate portrayal of a really, really strange, bizarre character. And I, I'm not sure that John Stamos has what it takes to mix that sort of um, bizarre unpredictability that Willy Wonka has. Uh, I mean, I know that Stamos has performed on Broadway. He's sort of an on-again, off-again member of the Beach Boys and has been since like the mid-80s. So he definitely can sing. That's not an issue. So hearing him sing Pure Imagination, for example, probably won't be a bad experience. I'm just not sure if he's the right guy to play Willy Wonka. I don't know. It's it's very weird. It seems like they're just trying to appeal to these you know, people that grew up in the 80s that loved this movie. And, you know, they're throwing everything at it. Weird Al, they're throwing, you know, a kid from Stranger Things. Um, I don't know. It's not something I, I want to see. Uh, ben, are you planning on going to it? No, I'll probably skip this. But it's also worth maybe mentioning that uh, that John Stamos said that he's watched the 1971 movie, quote, more than several hundred times. So that's uh, that's a hell of a lot of times. So he's a big fan. Uh, we'll have to see how that turns out. I'm sure we'll post some videos when uh, uh, when that happens. Um, let, let's move on to the mailbag. Today on the mailbag, Colin Singh writes in, hey, Peter and the gang. My question this week is about press screenings. I was curious about how they work. How do you hear about them? Who gets involved? Are you allowed to bring anyone? How early do you have to be? How does how often does the theater get completely full? Are there any Q&As with the cast and crew? Lastly, are they worth going to? Uh, I'm sure they're free and a big plus, but it's, it's worth considering that you're, you'll probably have to get there super early and good seats. I think there's an interest in uh, getting a glimpse behind the scenes into this movie blogging world. You know, last week we kind of had this question about how we got into movie blogging. And uh, I think Jacob and I uh, kind of made it sound like a horrible business that you never want to get involved with. Uh, and uh, I wasn't trying to be discouraging. Uh, there are a lot of perks, obviously. You know, we get to go to the movie sets and, re you know, get to uh, meet some of the filmmakers and actors we love and interview them. And we get to uh, see movies early at, at, for free at the screenings. But... Uh, as goes the saying, nothing in life is for free. <laughs> you know, you, you go to these screenings, you invest, you know, a bunch of time, and then you got to write a review. You, you know, it, it's it's uh, for, for saving that fifteen dollar movie ticket. Uh, 
we're 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 going through hours of work to do so. So it's not, um, I think, a cost effective move. So if you're if you're just <laughs> looking to get movies for free, uh, but yeah, we, let's talk about uh, movie screenings. Um, ben, uh, <laughs> why don't you tell them uh, what press screenings are like for you? Yeah, so uh, different studios handle press screenings in different ways. Sometimes I'll hear about uh, a screening on Twitter, and then I'll have to reach out to a publicist that works for that studio and say, hey, can I go see this movie as well? Um, And then sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. Just because we work for Slash Film doesn't mean that we get into every single movie screening. There are sort of different tiers of screenings that they have. Um, and, and, you know, for different movies and sometimes they'll have super early ones only for the people who are going, going to be going to the press junkets and, you know, interviewing people, you know, a week or two before the movie comes out. And then there's what's called an all media screening where they basically just open the doors to anyone with any website, um, who writes about movies and lets, those are sort of the traditional screenings that we go to a lot, um, also, I wanted to mention the kind of radio screenings. Peter, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about oh, with these. I, where I hate them. Yeah, they basically, it's like a mixture of press, people there to you well, know, well, cover well, the well, film. What they're and doing then... is, is they're, it's usually with comedies or horror films or something like it's you know, probably not going to get a good review. But they, the studio wants to have a crowd in there that is excited and uh, reacting to the movie. So they hire a radio station to give away tickets for free and get yes. that crowd in there. Yeah, and and those are the typically the the kinds of screenings where people I, I think the worst one I've ever been to, somebody brought a 2 liter of soda like like snuck a 2 liter in and opened it multiple times like with the hissing and everything like the fizz you know coming out uh throughout the movie they had like a full uh like a family sized bag of potato chips that they brought in from a grocery store and like you know just like the it's basically a different set of um of rules for these radio screenings because they basically just invite people in off the street to see these movies in order to yeah hopefully sort of build the environment to maybe sway critics uh, opinions one way or the other so that's sort of the lower end of uh, of the press screening kind of vibe there but then uh, you know there are as Peter was mentioning perks where sometimes you get to go to amazing places in Los Angeles where we are to see movies I think my favorite one that I ever went to was a screening for a movie called people like us which uh, I think Alex Kurtzman, the same guy who directed The Mummy, directed that film. It was a very small sort of personal drama. But the reason I loved that screening was because it was at the uh, the Amblin studio lot, like Steven Spielberg's office on the Universal uh, Hollywood lot. Um, and that's the only time I've ever been invited to a screening there. And that room was just amazing. And it was really awesome just to be in that same building where Spielberg, you know, works and spends most of his time. So, um, so yeah, sometimes you get the highs, sometimes you get the lows. Most of the time, it's just a random movieplex, you know, megaplex that's sort of in the, uh, you know, pinpointed in different areas around town. Um, but yeah, Peter, do you have anything it, to add? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it is interesting for us. I, I, I'm interested here. Chris has taken a second, but, um, Living in L.A., there's a lot of studios that have their own private screening rooms. And if we do, I want to say, like half the time, get invited to screenings at those screening rooms, which are kind of like, you know, it's a little bit more luxurious, like sometimes leather seats and, you know, small like best, you know, people are sometimes 
grating and doing sound in those rooms. So like it's like mm-hmm. some of the best ex- uh, possible presentation and sound in some of the those screening rooms. But it's it, it's interesting. I've talked to a bunch of people from studios, and uh, even if a movie is you know produced and distributed by like say Paramount, they need to rent out the theater on their lot um, because it's it's different divisions of the company. So sometimes it's cheaper for them to actually rent out you know a multiplex theater than it is to rent out the the lot rental for that screening room because those things are you know being used by you know very expensive films uh for a premium so uh we don't always get to see movies in those uh in that kind of environment uh chris what what is your uh screening experience like uh you're in uh i'm in philadelphia yeah yeah so philadelphia even though it's a pretty large city is considered a smaller market so we don't get very perky screenings but uh, I'm basically I'm on a marketing list and they email me every week with a list of screenings that are coming up for the following week. And you basically RSVP for whatever screening you want to go to. And the screenings are a mix. Sometimes they are press only, which are my favorite screenings because they're quiet. And then sometimes it's uh, like you said, those radio screenings, which really are a nightmare. And <laughs> they uh, I, I go to them because I have to. But. A lot of times I end up regretting it because the audiences for those those radio screenings, they don't really care what they're seeing. They just they like the idea of seeing a free movie. Right. And, you know, and I get that. That's fine. I mean, who doesn't like free stuff? But when I'm at a screening, I'm there to work. So uh, it's kind of hard to work when people around me are just, you know, don't really care what they're there for. So those aren't the best. But at the same time. You know, I can't complain too much because it's, you know, it's a free movie and it, you know, it, it's great to not have to pay to go see these things and also get to see them early. I mean, you know, I saw it pretty much almost like four weeks before anyone else saw it, which was wow. kind of, which was kind of great just to be able to say I saw it and to be sort of ahead of the curve with that, where I was telling people, you know, my acquaintances that this movie is actually the real deal. It's going to be a lot of fun. And sure enough, it came out and it was a huge hit. And, you know, I take a little bit of a sort of self-satisfaction in saying like, ah, I knew I knew before anyone else that I was that this was going to be big. So uh, (laughs) and some people out there are probably wondering, why do critics see movies so early? And sometimes it's for long lead interviews. Other times it's, you know, Chris wrote a bunch of articles about it for the site and uh, probably elsewhere. Right. Um, And to, to put those together, you can't see it the night before it comes out. Um, you know, you got to have some, uh, some time. Uh, so that's why that's traditionally done. And usually with, you know, casting and crew and filmmakers, their schedules don't line up. So, you know, they, they're holding the junket, you know, three, four weeks before the movie comes out because it's usually around the premiere. And, uh, that's usually when the first screenings happen. When I was in San Francisco before I moved to LA, uh, the big joke was when you showed up at a press screening and they gave you free soda and free popcorn. And it was a rare thing. It was always a stinker. <laughs> you know, they were they're they're trying to uh to uh be like, oh look, here's some free stuff. Um in LA it happens more often than not. Uh just um and it's not an indication of the quality of a movie. Um but one other thing I want to talk about is uh 
in LA, we, we're previewed a lot of um, award screenings at the end of the year. So there's a lot of these Q and A's. This guy asked about, is there ever Q and A with a cast or writers or director? Um, and that happens uh, pretty often in LA. Um, maybe not with press screenings, but usually like with these award films later in the year. And obviously we have all gone to film festivals and, uh, uh, Chris, you just got back from TIFF. Um, right. And uh, at the press screenings there, there usually isn't Q&As, but you do sometimes get tickets to these public screenings, which are my favorite. At Sundance, I, I hate going to the press screenings. Uh, see, see, Chris, if we were at Sundance together, I would probably never see you. You'd be in the, uh, the black <laughs> – you'd be in the black box uh, – press screening and i would be you know hiking it to the Eccles, which is you know just filled with people but more respectful people than um these radio screenings uh yes but i I love being in in there with the buzz of seeing that film for the first time and uh the q a's because especially with sundance films and independent films uh it's good to uh get some uh perspective from the people that made it and uh, get some questions answered, which I know is not how everybody in the world is going to experience these movies. It probably uh, does affect my opinion on the movie, but uh, it does um, help. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on film festival screenings? I mean, the, the Q&A situation is a double-edged sword because sometimes you do get answers that are legitimately insightful and interesting from people. But more often than not, I think the, the big thing that uh, film Twitter has been talking about for the past few years at this point is just how terrible the Q&A experience can be where people ask, you know, the dumbest questions and just monopolize people's time by offering their own readings of the movie instead of actually asking a question and all that stuff. So it's really a mixed bag when you get into public Q&As, but um, I'm interested. Chris, do you have any Q&As with cast or crew or anything like that in Philly? Do, do people sort of, um, you know, do the like the road show kind of thing where uh, the actual talent shows up in your city anytime? Not often. Uh, we do have the, the Philadelphia Film Festival, which is coming up. And usually when that happens, we will get a few people. Like one year we had, uh, we had Todd Haynes when Carol came out, and that was great. But for the most part, we don't. And... I'm sort of in, in that same ballpark where I like the idea of a Q&A, but I agree that more often than not, the people asking the questions ask the same dreadful stuff over and over again that they don't really even care about the answer to. They just want to ask the question. I feel like moderated Q&As are the way to go, where there's someone up there on the stage with the talent and they're giving them the questions because the minute you turn it over to the audience, there's always going to be at least one person who just wants to ask something that really doesn't matter at all. They just want to, <laughs> just want to be up there asking yeah. it. Yeah, for, for sure. And we, we should also mention, lastly, there is one other aspect of all this, and that is screeners. Um, smaller yes. films will sometimes send us screener links so that we can watch these movies online in the privacy of our own homes, uh, usually with... Uh, you know, names across the screen and it's not the most optimal viewing experience because they're worried about these films being pirated. Uh, I don't do much of that. Do you guys do a lot of screeners? I think I maybe do maybe two or three movies a year like that. Um, but for the most part, it's like actually going out to a theater and, and seeing a, a screening in person. I am, uh, once again, I'm the odd man out in that <laughs> I, if I could get a screener to everything, I would do it because 
Uh, I, I agree that sometimes the, the watermarking is a bit extreme where it's literally my own name across everyone's face in the movie. And that's not ideal. But uh, the idea of just, you know, having having be able to watch that at home without, you know, getting in the car, going out to the theater. It's, it's a big help for me schedule wise. So I, I, I do like when I have that option. For sure. Um, and it should be mentioned that these screeners are usually not for big movies. They're usually yeah, for, yeah. for really lower budget films. At the end of the year, around awards time, sometimes they'll send out some screeners for bigger movies. But uh, uh, if you're not in a big critic circle, you usually don't get those. Um, and uh, um, I mean, it should be said also that uh, n- not that we necessarily have to write about every movie we get to see at these screenings but there is kind of like this uh responsibility of us taking a press screening means that we're probably gonna have to write something about it at some point um and that that means that it's not like just this amazing uh thing where we get to see all these free movies all week long there you you know uh you got to pick and choose i think at least in my my respect what what do you guys think (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think there's there's definitely a responsibility to it. And a lot of times I don't review the movies that I see anymore, but I definitely um, still write about those films, you know, in the week or weeks leading up to the release. And and actually having been able to see it um, helps provide context for those pieces like you were mentioning earlier. So um, even if it's not uh, an exact sort of one to one relationship with seeing the the screener or the screening equals having a review, I think it is um, of value for the studios to let us see stuff like that. So we can, yeah, get our, our thoughts out there and like, you know, really, um, uh, uh, preach for a movie that we love you know we can we can write about it more we can cover different angles of it stuff like that so even if it's not a traditional review um sometimes we'll get good editorials out of it and things like that so uh yeah that's been my experience and i know w- w- when i was in san-, san francisco with like these small companies like allied and tha um they would always threaten to uh if you're going to see a movie you got to send the link of your coverage the week of release um and if you didn't they would remove you from their screening list uh but uh, that, that that seems to be a less of a problem in la and especially uh that we're now a bigger site than i was back then when i was in yeah. uh, san francisco uh but i think we've covered probably ev- all the questions here uh about movie screenings is there anything else you guys can think of that people might be interested in uh, well I, I they did ask in that question if you can bring guests and the answer for me is yes so there if they wanted to know that answer i can bring one guest um and and that's typically the case although i I, i've experienced with some bigger films they'll be like you you know if it's like star wars or something you know some like the last harry potter i think uh you know they it was like only you and you can't bring a guest Um, and probably just because they had so many requests for people to go to these screenings that they, you know, they couldn't uh, rent out a whole theater, a whole multiplex. Um, But generally, yeah, generally you get a guest in L.A. for the Disney films. Sometimes they'll even do like, you know, bring your wife and kids 
um, oh. which is unique. Uh, yeah. yeah, they'll do like weekend screenings at the El Capitan or something. Like, yeah, bring as many you know of your kids and your f- kids' friends as you want, just to sort of get the word out there. I think it's like a, a word of mouth technique that they use. And, and Chris would be avoiding those like the plague. Oh yes, yeah, keep me away. <laughs> Anyways, guys, I think I think we've said enough. Uh, to submit your questions to the mailbag, send them to Peter at slashfilm dot com. That's Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mentioned the question on the air. Uh, you can find me more of me at SlashFilm.com and at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find Ben Pears at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find Chris. Uh, actually, what is your Twitter name? I, I don't have this off the top of my head because this is the first time uh, oh. I'm doing it. Thankfully, it's really wordy and I need to change that. But it's Evangelista 413 at Twitter.com. Ah, is 413 your birthday? It is. So now everyone knows, get me a gift in April, April 13th. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps us out. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>